Thank you for downloading this podcast from Lafayette Community Church. We hope this message inspires you to know and live the life you were designed for, because we exist to help people just like you discover life in Christ. So there are two big things that I want us to talk about when it comes to gratitude. And this isn't going to be a whole long message because, you know, we got the, we got the kids hanging around and I want to try to make sure they can pay attention as much as possible. But the first passage we're going to be looking at will lead our, lead our attention towards what it means to be gratitude, what it means to be grateful to God with our money. And so this is coming from Deuteronomy 26. I don't have a paper note sheet for you. You're just going to have to do it from the app. But Deuteronomy 26, we're going to put it up on the screen here. Let me read it to you. It says this, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, and you have conquered it and settled there, put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Now, if you don't know the story of Israel, what happens is God makes a promise to a guy named Abraham, and he says to Abraham, I want your family to be my people. And so then Abraham has a couple kids, and his kids have a couple kids, and then his kids have a ton of kids. And then what happens is there's a famine. They end up going to Egypt, and God rescues them in a dramatic way as they live in Egypt for a while. But eventually they become slaves in Egypt because of racism. And at that time, the new Pharaoh shows up. He doesn't like all these Hebrew people. He forces them to become slaves. And God swoops in through the activity of Moses and liberates the people from Egypt, leads them through the wilderness, gives them his laws on the mountain we call Mount Sinai, or sometimes it's called Mount Zion or other things. Usually Zion refers to Jerusalem, but this is a different mountain. Mount Sinai is the one where he gets the laws. And then there they go on the journey to Israel. They finally make it to Israel. And right before they get into their land, right before they get into their promised land, Moses gives them a final message. And that's this, Deuteronomy. And he says, when you enter the land, take some of the first produce from your crops and bring it to God. Why, Moses? Why should we do this? Well, let's keep going. It says this. Go to the priest in charge at the time and say to him, with this gift, I acknowledge to the Lord your God that I've entered the land he swore to our ancestors he would give us. What you do is you say, I have now arrived in the land God promised. In other words, I am now living in the fulfillment of a promise. That's called gratitude. When someone has promised something to you and you recognize that the promise has been kept. That's gratitude. That's the first step of gratitude. And then if you keep reading, he says, he brought us to this place. There it is. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. The second thing you need to notice there is that it's not just that God kept his promise. He kept his promise abundantly. They came into this land and this land is flowing with milk and honey. Now, the only way to have that literally happen is if the cows are so plentiful and so fertile that they end up getting milked without anyone's involvement. And the bees are so plentiful and so nice that they are just simply producing abundant honey and it's running out all over the place. It doesn't happen literally. This is a metaphor. That's okay. Sometimes the Bible speaks in metaphors. What they mean is that everything we could want is easy to get. 
Everything we could want is easy to get. The blessings are just falling into our laps. It's flowing almost with milk and honey. And then that's just a recognition that God's promise is not just keeping his promise. He's keeping it well and abundantly. Let's go on into the next one. It says, And now, O Lord, I've brought you the first portion of the harvest you've given me from the ground. That's what we're supposed to say when we bring to God the first fruits. Then it says, Then place the produce before the Lord your God and bow to the ground in worship before him. So the first thing is acknowledging God's goodness. The second thing is to actually worship God and to say, I'm bringing this gift to you, God, because you gave me the whole land. You gave me a land flowing with milk and honey, so I'm bringing you a basket. Now this is pretty amazing, right? God says, I'm giving you the whole land, rivers of produce, rivers of plenty. The whole land, everything you want is easy to get. And God says, so bring me a basket. Just make a little fruit basket to thank God. That's what he basically says. Bring me a basket. You get the whole land. I want a basket. So we bring it and then worship him. Keep reading. It then says, afterward, you may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Remember to include the Levites and the foreigners living among you in the celebration. That last two lines are really interesting to me. When you bring your basket back to God, you worship him, and then you party. And you don't party necessarily with the tiny basket you brought. You celebrate all the good things the Lord your God has given to you in your household. And then he says, but make sure you include other people in your celebration. Okay, so I know I didn't give you a note sheet to fill in blanks with, but I went ahead and made a blank statement anyway. It goes like this. We give God the first portion so that we can say thanks to him, so that we worship him and to care for others. This is the whole premise of what we do on the first Sunday of the month. We call Gratitude Sunday. We ask you to bring financial gifts. Around here, we teach the principle called the tithe, which is fundamentally based on Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy 26 uses two words. Sometimes it uses the word first fruits. Sometimes it uses the word tithe. And both of them kind of mean the same thing. First fruits means to take the first portion that you get. Tithe says take a 10% of what you get. Now, if you're a parent and you're trying to teach your kids how to do tithing, I'm going to show you the easiest possible way, all right? It goes like this. I'm going to put a little chart up. In this chart, we're going to talk about dollars, we're going to talk about cents, and we're going to talk about the tithe. Watch the mathematical magic that is about to take place before your eyes. First, the dollars. Let's say you give your child an allowance of a dollar. There it is. One dollar. There is a little S symbol in front of it. There is a one, there's a dot, and there are two zeros. And that's what we know of as a dollar. A dollar with no sense. Now, now here's the magic. Watch what happens. If I take away the dot, it becomes sense. Did you ever know that before? All you do, you just remove the dot, and now you have sense. 
So you have to change the S to a C because if you kept the S and S, then I would be happy, but maybe the church would be happy, the church's finances would be happy, but maybe you would be less happy. Okay, so, so make sure you change it from the big S with the line in it to the C with the line in it. Take away the dot and you have sense. Now, here's, here's the next step of magic. Are you ready for this? In order to do tithe, you get rid of one of the zeros. You just knock the last digit, whatever the one on the far right is, you just get rid of it. Just toss it out and you're left with 10 cents. This is what tithe is. That's it. It's magic. It's like so amazing. God says, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, so bring me a basket. And then celebrate the land. The principle that God gives to his people is not, I'm going to tax you 10%. The principle God gives his people is, I am going to bless your socks off with 90. It just so happens that when God blesses us, he always gives us more than we need. And so to thank God for the 90, we give back the surplus that he gave initially. To thank God for the 90, to thank God for what he's giving, we give back the surplus. We give back the overflow. And so this principle of 10% or first fruits is just simply based on that. We say, God, thank you. So I'm going to bring back to you the extra. And then we worship God because it's from him anyway. And then we make sure we take care of the people around us. So the principle of gratitude with our money is this. But now I want to talk to you what, about what it means to be grateful for Jesus. What does it mean for us to be grateful for Jesus? Well, Jesus himself set up a mechanism, a, a, a ritual almost, a procedure for us to be grateful for him. It shows up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me show it to you. 1 Corinthians 11 says, Paul is writing, and he says, I pass on to you what I received from Jesus himself, what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. So Jesus starts this. He is the one who on the night before he was betrayed and then crucified, and then three days later rose back from the dead. He's the one who takes bread and breaks it, and gives it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Keep reading. He says, do this in to remember me. Eat of it to remember him. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. This is Paul giving us, again, a threefold way to be grateful to God for Jesus' death and resurrection. What do we do? We show our gratitude to him by receiving it. So here's another fill-in-the-blank. Let me give it to you. We take communion, this process of eating this piece of bread and drinking this grape juice for us. We take communion to say thanks, to receive him, and to share him. We take communion to say thanks, to receive him, and to share him. 
When I was a kid, my parents told me I was not allowed to have communion until after I was baptized because my parents wanted me to have made a decision to receive Jesus personally before I received Jesus symbolically. And that's just what my parents did. It's not written in the Bible. You can do whatever you want to do with your kids, but for yourself at least, I want you to know this. I want you to know that the idea of communion is that when I take the bread and the juice, I am doing so as a symbol of receiving Jesus into my life. And so if you're here today, at the end of our worship time, in just a few minutes, when we're done with our question and answer time, we're going to play another couple songs, and I'm going to invite you to come forward. You'll come forward down these side aisles, and then depending on where you want to go back, you'll either head back up towards the center or around the outside. And then you'll come forward. We have a basket to receive an offering or the Connect cards if you filled one out. And we've got little cups of uh, prepared communion supplies. On the bottom side, there's a little cracker. You can peel off the label and there will be a cracker down there. On the far right-hand side, the crackers are gluten-free. And then um, on the top, there's another little thing you can peel open and there will be some grape juice there. And it will be your time to spend time thanking your Heavenly Father for Jesus and receiving Jesus symbolically through this meal. And whether you're a part of our church or not, you are welcome to participate in that moment so long as you are receiving Jesus for real in your spirit. If you have before or if today's your first time to receive Jesus into your spirit, then say, Jesus, I receive you. I thank you. And I want to share you with others. And then participate in the symbolic act of receiving him. Kids know you are what you eat. You eat too much sugar, you become a lunatic. Kids know that because every parent has told them that. And I want to tell you that you are what you eat. And so today, when you come to communion, I want you to recognize that communion is an act of commitment to becoming like Jesus. And so, with that said, I want to ask you to prepare your hearts for receiving Jesus and trusting him completely with your life. And we're going to go to our time of question and answer, but before we do that, I want to also share with you some other news. And that news is both good and bad, depending on your perspective, I guess. Um, As a part of a family announcement sort of situation, uh, my wife and I have been leading this church for 16 years, and we came to Lafayette to pursue a dream that I had of doing this job, leading a a brand new church, starting something brand new. But in the last uh, few months, in the last summer, God has given us an opportunity for Jen to follow a dream that we didn't even know we had until recently. Uh, She was offered a position as a professor of computer science at Taylor University, where my kids go. And um, it just seems like even though it's a risk of faith, and a thing that scares us in a lot of ways. God is opening the door and making this an opportunity for us that we really kind of think we need to do. So she's accepted the job, and we're going to be moving at the end of December, the last week of December. So what that means is this church is going to be going through a time of transition, even as much as our family is going to be going through a time of transition. 
And it's one of the main reasons I wanted to make today a day that focuses entirely and completely on relying on Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us. Even though our family started the church, this church has never been about us entirely. I know some people have come in and left depending on whether they liked me or not, but the true heart of the church has always been whether or not people wanted to share in this vision of reaching people with a simple message of Jesus that didn't have all of the other overhead of other Christianity-ish kind of things. And so we think that that mission is still the mission of this church, and we're still excited about it. The leaders of this church have known about it for a number of months. We've been planning. We've been preparing. It's just broken Jen and my heart to not be able to tell you and let you be in on it, but to protect her job here in Lafayette for this period of time, we've needed to keep it kind of under wraps. And so we're telling you today, and we have two full months that we're going to be hanging around My last Sunday preaching will be the first Sunday in January, but then in January, the elders have already asked me to be on call to come out here for music and to help with the transition of the church doing some of the music as they find other people to come in and do some of the teaching. So I know that's going to raise some questions for us, and I'm certain that you have some, and that's the other reason we wanted to make sure we had a question and answer time today. And so we'll take whatever time we need to on the question and answer, but all of the big questions will be answered in a post to our website um, sometime later this week, maybe later today, maybe later this week, and we'll notify, we'll put that notification out there through our um, chats, through our app, and through our Facebook page. So are there any questions? Are there any questions about communion? Are there questions about our family? Are there questions about the church? Are there questions about other things that uh, just have been on your mind and you're like, hey, I want to get this question in there because this might be, I'm not saying it is, but it might be our last opportunity to do a live question and answer time. So if you have a question, go ahead and put it in there and let's address it. Do we have any yet? Are there any interesting things that have shown up? Oh my goodness, we got a number of things. Um, not, a, not a question. Congratulations, Jen. Uh, she never pursued higher education until we were at this job that she has now that she hates. Uh, but, but it was a situation where, where God just said, okay, this company is going to offer you money to, take a mas- to get a master's degree. And so we're like, should we do that? And so five years of suffering later, she had a master's degree. And it just so happened that that was in the right arena of information technologies, computer science stuff that is exactly what Taylor University needed. And they've kind of been begging her to come for the last couple of months. In fact, they wanted us to be out there this fall semester. And we're like, no, we really should stay here through the fall. Um, So yes, congratulations. Uh, the next question, oh my goodness, we were, we were on what was the best part of your vacation, but now we're on did Adam and Eve. So we can get rid of that top one. Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? <clears throat> okay. <laughs> so here's the easy answer. I don't know. Okay, that's the easy answer. Now I'll tell you why that question matters. Um, For people who believe that God made the earth in six literal days, 
they believed that Adam and Eve were the absolutely first human-like creatures and that all of the creatures that God created in those first six days had no belly buttons because all of the creatures that God made during those first six days were just made by snapping of the fingers. However, uh, a literal reading of the text of Genesis chapter 1 yields conflicting results. For example, even though it says it was morning and it was evening the third day or whatever, it also says that God commanded the earth to produce animals. That God didn't actually make the animals. He commanded the earth to make the animals. And so a literal reading of the text implies both that it happened rather rapidly and also that God gave the power of creation to the earth itself. And so depending on your perspective, if you take the six-day literal creation period, which I don't, if you take that approach, and I think God totally could have snapped his fingers and made all that happen, then you end up with the conclusion that Adam and Eve, being the first beings that God made, he shaped Adam from the dust of the ground, he wouldn't have needed a belly button. Now maybe God thought it was cute. And so when he shaped Adam out of the clay of the ground, he's like, last thing you know? I don't know. I don't know, because that's real human beings have belly buttons. Maybe he would have done that. I don't know. But on the other hand, if you take the approach of understanding that God created this world for us to understand it, and people have been trying to understand the world for centuries, and our best understanding of the world is that when God commanded the earth to produce things, it did. And so when science tells us that there's this progression that they would use the word evolution for, we can say that might be how God actually created the world. And so I stand more on the side of, yeah, science is giving us some good information. And with that understanding, it is entirely possible that Adam was the first being God breathed the breath of life into, as we read from the book of Genesis, but maybe Adam had a mom. And we don't know. We don't know. We know God did something special, and the words in the text are that God shaped Adam from the dust of the ground but that might mean that he shaped Adam from pre-existing material. And so God made Adam specially, but maybe he had a mom. And that's a question we can't answer. We literally can't because the Bible doesn't answer that question, and so we just go with it. Um, I wrote a whole article on my personal blog about why, uh, what's up with Neanderthals. And so if you're interested in that, you can go to jeffmichaels.org and you can read my article on that, which gets into all this stuff in a little bit more details. What was the best part of your vacation last week? Honestly, it's Jen and my 25th anniversary. Um, but that was last May. So yeah, you can clap, but you're late. Um, <laughs> It was last May that was our 25th anniversary, and for our honeymoon, we went to Disney for one of the days of this incredibly bulk-rate trip that we went on. And so uh, this is 20, and they were celebrating their 25th anniversary at Disney World. And so then this year, we're going back there, and we, for our 25th, it was their 50th. And so we were celebrating Disney's 50th anniversary, and we did this weird thing where we were there for Halloween... And right after Halloween, they changed the whole Magic Kingdom Park to be Christmas. So we got to see Halloween and Christmas. Apparently at Disney, they don't know anything about Thanksgiving. So it's just 
skipped right on over. So we got to see Halloween and Christmas. It was, a, it was a really fun time, plus a lot of sort of nostalgia of just being there 25 years later. Is mayonnaise... <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a SpongeBob reference? Chuck, you might, you might know this. Have I ever been stumped by a question before? This one gets me. Have you, ever, have you ever done that thing with a brand new mayonnaise container where you open it and like it has pulled away from the side of the jar a little bit? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where the mayonnaise is somehow so thick, maybe it only works with like the lower fat fake mayonnaise ones, but it has somehow pulled away from the side of the jar a little bit. And if you shake it, just a little bit, it'll go. And so, yeah, you can make it into an instrument. There you go. If you've, you should try it sometime. Take your mayonnaise, put it on the counter sideways, and just bonk it down a little bit and then leave it alone for a while. Then open it up. It's kind of, it's gross. But if you weren't a pastor, what do you think you'd choose for a profession? Interesting question, because I have to do something with my life over the next couple of months. So when, when January hits, I don't, have a, I don't have a job yet. And so I've applied to a number of different uh, job opportunities. There is a church in Anderson, which is 40 minutes away from Taylor University. And so if we lived halfway between Anderson and Upland, where Taylor is, and they pronounce it Upland, not Upland. I'm, getting, I'm trying to get used to that. But if, I, if we lived halfway in between, then it's possible I could do some pastor work for this church. They're looking for a lead pastor right now, but they're not going to hire anyone until August. And so I have to find something for me to do. So I've applied to a bunch of places. I've applied to some tech jobs because having some money while Jen is working at a Christian private college would, you know, be helpful. And so I've applied to some tech jobs. Um, but I think ideally what I would like to do is podcasting, preaching, writing a book of some kind. My heart has always been to help people follow Jesus and not all the other stuff that they tend to follow. And so however I can find a way to do that, if it can pay me, that's what I want to do. I want to help people follow Jesus. And so um, I have a connection with a guy at Zondervan Book Publishing, and they've rejected my first proposal, but maybe my second one they won't reject. So we'll have to wait and see. Your prayers will be appreciated. Do I like garlic bread? Of course. I like more garlic than bread, you know? I want the, I want the bread to be so garlicky that your friends the next week ask you if you have eaten garlic bread. That's the right kind right? Okay, so yes, I definitely do. I also like it really crunchy on the outside. When it's overbaked, you know, and the outside is all kind of crunchy. How do we show love to other Christians, particularly those who focus on legalism, who think their views are the only truth? Okay, so what you can do for this question, and it doesn't answer the question, but it helps, I think, is you say, how do we show love to others? Because the bottom line is, they're different from you, right? If it was easy to show love to another person, you wouldn't call them other. You'd call them family. You'd call them friend. You'd call them uh, something else. If it was easy to love them, then you would be in a relationship with them and the word other would not be part of the vocabulary. 
And so the fact that Jesus tells us to love other people, to love others, to love our neighbors as ourselves, is incredibly difficult. But it's exactly the same as when it comes to loving other Christians who rely on legalism, or loving a Democrat who wants this, or loving a Republican who wants that, or loving a a Muslim who wants this, or loving an atheist who wants that. Everybody we encounter is a person who's different. And we have to love them as ourselves. The problem with the Christian thing, though, and I'm just going to expose a little bit of my own personal heart here, is that I feel like Christians should know better. And I get irritated. I get irritated when there's a Christian who's not acting like Jesus. And when when there's a Christian who's not talking like Jesus. And the only solace I have for myself is remembering all the times when I have not acted like Jesus or talked like Jesus. And remembering all of the preconceptions and prejudices that I used to have before I became aware of whatever that particular preconception and prejudice was and started working on it. But before Jesus worked on my heart to remove this one particular prejudice, I had it and I thought it was right And I thought it was Christian to hold that. And there is no possible way for me when I'm in that phase where I think it's Christian to have this perspective to listen to another person tell me I'm wrong and for me to think they're right. So what has to happen, and this is tough, what has to happen is that all of us have to be willing to actually be like Jesus in two ways. Way number one, when Jesus encountered a person who was using religion to oppress others, namely the Pharisees, he called them out on it. And he said, that is not my father's will. He was like, you should stop that. And when he encountered everybody else, he said, hey, let's hang out. Now, luckily, Jesus only had to put up with it for three years, right? He was doing his public ministry for three years, and then he died, he rose, he got out of here. And we have to linger a long time with these people. But the bottom line is, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we have to act like Christians, even to the other people who are calling themselves Christians. Man, I want to smack him in the face so many times. But Jesus didn't, so I can't. Uh, that's not a great answer. It doesn't solve the problems, but it's at least the best I can, I can offer. What's the plan for LCC now? Um, so we're going to publish a, a, a page on our website later today or tomorrow or sometime early this week that's going to outline it all in detail, but I'll give you a summary. A quick summary goes like this. We have already contacted our network of churches. It's called Converge. Um, That's the nationwide uh, network of churches we're in called Converge. The local association is called Converge Mid-America, and they manage, relate with churches all the way from Wisconsin all the way to the Caribbean islands. Mid-America is this huge swath of the middle of the United States. And as a result, we've contacted a fellow by the name of Andrew Ford. A lot, you guys haven't met him yet, but I've known him for a couple years. 
and we're going to hire them as kind of a consulting firm to help us walk through this process. And what it means is they're going to help us identify candidates for the next pastor job who fits the profile of what our collective mission is. And when I'm out of here, the elders are going to refine that mission and vision a little bit more through conversations with you, surveys with the congregation, and all kinds of stuff. So you all have to stay engaged so that your voices can be heard so that this begins to be even more of a family-run operation for the period of time that I'm, I'm not here anymore. But there's going to be consultation with Converge. There's going to be the elders of the church who are operating here. Um, each one of the three elders that we have, that's Jacob, that's Matt, and that's Chuck. You met them a couple weeks ago when I had them on stage, if you hadn't known them before. They're each going to be in charge of different aspects of the church ministry. So, for example, Matt is going to be trying to coordinate the speakers for Sunday morning. And we're going to rely on our worship team, but we're going to ask for more volunteers. If you are musical, if you can sing, if you know someone who is, we're going to ask for more volunteers with that. Uh, Jen's one of our top teachers in Kidopolis, and so when we're out of here, we're going to need more teacher volunteers in Kidopolis and some stuff like that. So there's going to be some time where everybody here needs to sort of pull together and be the family, but you also need to know that the process is well-formed. Uh, we're not just flying by the seat of our pants. We're, we're working with good agencies, good people, and the journey is going to be slow. That's the annoying part. It's going to be slow, but it is going to be good. And I, I invite your patience for at least one full year. After, after a full year, then you can, you know, you can lose your patience if you want. You can yell at people. You can write me letters saying, where, where are you or whatever. But you don't need me. What you need is Jesus, and he is not going to leave you. So this procedure over the next couple of months is going to be slower than you want it to be, but it's going to be good, and it's going to be a, a thorough process. I already read this one a little bit. Thank you, guys. Grateful for 16 years of service. Congratulations. Continue to pray for you and your family. Thank you, guys. I, we, we definitely need your prayers, and I definitely appreciate it. The good news about making this announcement today is that we're not leaving yet. And so I'm still making this announcement knowing that next week I'm going to be here. Because if, if this were my last Sunday, I would be talking way less. I'll tell you that much. But what is the Christian teaching on cremation? Ooh, this is actually a good one. We're running out of time. Um, okay. Okay, they're all, they're all real good. I'll do it, I'll do it as, as fast as I can. The Christian teaching on cremation. This is interesting because there is no Christian teaching on cremation. Kind of. I mean, there's, there's, the Catholic Church has a position on cremation, but there's nothing in the Bible about it. And what I find absolutely fascinating about it is that uh, the idea... So the idea goes that if you're cremated, there's no body to be raised up again when Jesus comes back. Jesus is going to come back one of these days and dead people are going to be raised to life again and uh, we're going to be with him forever in eternity. And the idea is that if you're cremated, there's no body for, to be recovered in the resurrection. The, the problem with that way of thinking is that it is entirely limited to around 100 years. Because if you go 100 years older than now, everybody's been cremated in the sense of everybody is no longer anything. The Apostle Peter's bones 
are gone. And I think he's going to get resurrected. So that means the resurrection is going to happen in some fashion that is far more glorious than our little minds can imagine. So I don't have any problem with cremation as a method of dealing with the body that is left behind when the soul gets reunited with Jesus in the intervening time before Jesus comes back again. I don't think there's any reason to think that cremation is a problem. Um, But um, I also say that it's the job of those who are living to decide how they want to honor their loved ones. And if the loved one says, I want to be buried, and those who are living say, we want to honor that person, and they do that, that's fine too. Um, And so I I don't think that's as far as I can say on that. Um, What's the biggest need of the church during the transition? Lots of small needs. So uh, we're going to be looking for uh, pastoral support either on Sunday morning only or by hiring what's called an interim pastor to take care of things like uh, visiting you in the hospital if you need that or, or leading a small group perhaps or preaching on Sunday. But it's all the other little things. We need people who volunteer for the different aspects of the church, whether that's uh, musicianship on stage, a lead singer working to prepare the music, whether that's helping out with Kidopolis, stuff like that. But as far as the big picture leadership items, those things are taken care of uh, by the leadership team that we have in place. And so really, the biggest need, if you want to step into volunteering, what you need to do is you need to talk to Jacob, Matt, or Chuck, and be like, hey, what's the next thing? Not necessarily what are the biggest needs, but what's the next thing? However, I will mention on the biggest needs front, moving forward, the biggest need of the church will be money. The Moving forward, the biggest need of the church will be money. When the church is no longer paying me a full-time salary, that will enable them to save some money. But the way finances work with pastors and the way it's uniquely worked with me and my family is that we have been a far smaller financial burden on the church than your next guy will be. And that is simply because God has blessed Jen with the health insurance and the income that we've had that is provided for us. And so we have been a smaller burden on the church than the next guy will be. And so money will become an issue. And I want you guys to be people of the tithe because if you are people of the tithe, then God will provide exactly what this church needs for exactly the right next person to be the lead pastor. That's just the way God works. What is my favorite potluck food? Fried chicken. Uh, But I never go first in line, and so it's never there when I get there. And so I usually, you know get some later on that week for myself. Um, do you develop, did you develop the LCC app by yourself? Yeah, actually. Um, I'd love to tell the story about that, but no, I won't tell the story of that. Um, do you consider donations to other godly establishments uh, other, than, other than a church a form of tithing? Uh, so kind of yes, kind of no. Mostly no. And the reason for that is that the tithe is supposed to be a gift that I get out of my hands, and I let God do with it what he wants to do with it. And so I want that gift out of my hands entirely. And the best way for me to do that is to give it to an agency all at once as a lump, to give it to someone else. And so I give it, I have my whole life given it to whatever local church I've been a part of, and then trust that the leadership of that church will make the decisions that need to be made for those finances. But 
our church practices tithing, and we've been advised by our network of churches that we should split up that tithe into different areas. And so as a church, we tithe, but we also split it up into different areas because it's not like there's a church that we're a part of, and so we do split that up. If you want to split up your tithe, my only question to you is, why? What is the motive that says, I need to take some of the 10% and make my own decisions about it? Uh, From my perspective, the way I like to operate is 10% goes to my church, wherever that is, and then I give extra above that to causes around me so that I can be a person that I view as not just making an obedience thing to God, but I want to be a generous person. And so I, I do other stuff over and above that. And that's at least my family's goal. Um, but I'm not going to tell you how to do it your family way. I think giving God the first and getting it out of your hands is the most important principle. Um, let's quickly, what are some simple practical ways to show love to our neighbors? Ah, I used to say like knocking on their door and giving them cookies. But I think, you know, no one wants strange person's cookies anymore. Um, Maybe just getting to know their name, knocking on their door, getting to know their name, and uh, inviting them over to dinner if they're open to that, something. I'm not exactly sure the best way, because I think if I give you a recipe and then you follow that recipe, you're not actually loving them. What you're doing is you're trying to follow a recipe. But at least try to get to know them so that you know how to love them, who they are. What will I miss most about LCC? Um, you, I mean, we've gotten to a place here with the church where I can talk about just about anything the Bible teaches on Sunday without worrying that you guys are going to shoot me. And, um, I don't think I'm ever going to have that again. And so if I ever have another pastor job, I'm never going to have you people. And that's, that's, a major reason why I don't know if I want to have another pastor job. You know, something I'm still kind of thinking about. There are lots of other things I could answer that one with. How do we know what God wants us to do in service for Him and people? Um, This is a question of how do I know God's will? And the easy answer for this is one that I differ from a lot of other people on. Um, I think the way you, know, you, the way you discern God's will is to A, know his word. B, be in relationship with his people. C, pray and ask God to give you guidance. And D, do whatever you want. And it has to be in that order. I don't think there is a C.5 where you wait around listening for some whisper to come to you. Although for some people, that definitely is a valuable part of their journey. That's the thing that helps them get to do what they want, do what God is leading them to do. But I think after you go through this journey of understanding God's will and his people, and you've prayed about it, then you have to trust him. And you trust that God has put into your heart what he wants to be in your heart. And so you have to do something about it. Um, how can we help? I'm not exactly sure yet. I'm still wrestling with some things, but please just pray for us. 
okay, but Hanson was pretty fun to see live, right? I couldn't see him very well because I was wearing my contacts and they were all kind of blurry up there. But there was one guy who like had shorter blonde hair and then there was another guy on the drums who had like short brown hair and then there was another guy on the electric guitar who had kind of floppy brown hair. And so I, I got that much. And I was, like, I was like, wow, these guys are so much more than Mbop. Did I do it right? Okay. Um, are we seeing the end of the Christian church in America? Yes. Um, it will definitely end as this thing, whatever it is, because this structure, this thing is not the, is not the church. Will we see the end of Christians in America? Will we see the end of church with a capital C, the people who call themselves followers of Jesus? No, because there are always going to be people who try to follow Jesus with their heart and their soul, and we're never going to lose that. There's always going to be some people because Jesus said the gates of hell can't, can't defeat his church. Nothing's going to defeat the real church. But are we going to lose the buildings and the songs and the stuff like that? One of these days, potentially yes. One of these days. With the persecution that is definitely going to come in the future, whenever the end times really show up, this whole structural thing might go. Um, would you want to go back in time and be with Moses? Except for the everything disease, um, being with Moses and seeing some of those miracles would be really cool, but I really, really like penicillin. Um, <laughs> does God view all sins as equal? Yeah, as a matter of fact. Literally every single sin is just sin. And the fact that we, we hierarchize the different kinds of sins is to our own shame. The, the, the thing that we... we ostracize people because of a particular label they choose for themselves, and yet we allow another person who is unaware of their greed to continue going on in their, in their way. God, all sin is equal, and every one of us is equally guilty before God. Um, are you and we all God's disciples? We can be. Uh, we should be. It is our desire to be people who follow Jesus. Disciple means someone who follows and we should be following Jesus. Uh, pepperoni, but if you're going bigger picture, Chicago deep dish. Second would be whatever is not Arnie's. <laughs> Just the, the thinner it gets, the less like pizza it is. Let's just, let's just, I'm not from around here. Are you going to start another church near the university? Or are you planning on pursuing your writing? I don't know. I'm really waiting on God for some of that stuff. Um, what's the process for finding a new pastor? I can't get into the details, but we'll post that this week. Would you want to be back in time with Moses? Second question. What's Charlie up to? Interesting question. Um, he is doing well-ish, and we love him. And uh, we, are, we are confident that it's going to be a joy to have Charlie living at home with us next semester while Jen is doing her teaching, and he's going to be in his senior year. And I'm 100% I'm confident that God is bringing something in his direction that's going to be fabulous, just as I am with Katie. Um, the skills that I see in my children are far beyond anything that I expected to see in them. And to tell you the truth, 
the people that they are. Charlie, if you're listening, you can turn this off because he watches this most weeks. You can turn this off because I'm going to say something really nice. But the, the people that my kids are are way better than I thought they would be. And I am far more enthusiastic about the people that they are becoming and that they already are than I am over any potential other thing going on in their life. And so I'm really thrilled about that. And the fact that we're all going to be in the same like sphere in the Taylor bubble is going to be a really interesting thing uh, come January. So thank you for letting me go through all those questions. I want us to spend some time and remind ourselves all over again that what we need is Jesus more than anything else. Every one of the questions we talked about, every one of the questions pales in comparison to this one thing. We need to be people all about Jesus. He's the one who sacrificed for us that we might have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And because of his sacrifice for us and showing love for us, we are called to walk in his steps, to follow him and to be people like that. So you can have everything else in the world, but I want Jesus. And that's the heart and the soul of what really is this church, what it should be all about, what it has been trying to be all about for the past 16 years or so. And that's what we need to turn our attention to now. We're going to sing two final songs. And during those two songs, feel free to come forward, take one of the communion cups. You can kneel on the pillows up here if you want to just spend some time kind of in solitude prayer. You can take it back to your seat. You can uh, eat the bread and drink the grape juice up here somewhere, or you can do that back at your seat. But I want to invite you to take a moment in just this space and time and say, Jesus, I need you more than anything else. And Jesus, you can have me and all of me. Let's take a moment in quiet and let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.